0: So good to see you folks here. All right, well, we're going to start as always. uh, Welcome to Uni Girl Baptist Church, those watching on the internet and in the auditorium. And uh, I just, we're going to have something that, uh, and those of you that know Dave Knorr sent me a very, very interesting article. uh, I think it was this morning. Uh, Otherwise, I would add it on the slides, but. I I had them all done last night and turned them into our technical department. So uh, I'm going to pray and then we're going to get right into this. The title of this one is New Global Internet Censorship Began Today. All right, so we'll get into that in just a moment. Uh, Good to see you folks, but uh, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for what the Lord Jesus means to us. Pray that you'd bless our time together. Pray that you'd especially watch over our teens and young people as uh, they take place or take part in uh, the water sports outside today. So we pray for safety for them and fun as well. Then Lord, as uh, all the groups and the youth open up the word of God a little bit later uh, in the evening, that uh, of course, uh, as always, you bless your word, help the hearts to be open and to learn. And of course, if Anyone's in the building tonight or even outside that doesn't know Christ, might they find him before they leave here this evening. So, Father, bless our time together. Pray it might be instructional and uh, the Lord might be be lifted up and glorified. And we commit it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's pop right into Prophecy Focus Global Update. So, again, uh, if you just walked in or just tuned in, uh, we're going to be talking for a few minutes about the article I received this morning. It's called New Global Internet Censorship Began Today. Now, when we're talking about prophecy, what? Global update. Anytime you see the word global in an article, yes, I want it. Uh, because it's it just has a, a massive nexus to what's happening in uh, Revelation 13. Again, our key scripture, if you will, when we're looking at the global one-world economy, one-world religion, one-world... Uh, Government is certainly Revelation 13, which will kick in uh, in the future. All right, so I'm just going to uh, go through a couple of things here. It's fresh off the press. All right, so according to LaToya Drake, head of Google News Initiative, instead of global Internet censorship, Google calls it fact-check tools. Much more politically correct. Its purpose is to eliminate dissent on any topic Google selects. Uh, let's see, like when uh, I'll just give you, a, say what? Conservatism, religious. Yeah, there you go, and we'll actually give you the list that they gave. Uh, let's see. So I, I, I actually told you folks, I think it was last Wednesday night. at Perch, I'm. Ra- I'm finishing up a book I'm writing on artificial intelligence, transhumanism, and uh, the. The, what did I call it? The Evolution of Democracy. So I bought several books off the Internet on artificial intelligence, and one of the books I purchased from Amazon, when uh, I got it, there's no publisher listed, and the author that's listed listed has literally no biography anywhere on the Internet. So I, I basically, I, uh, just for those that weren't here last week, I contacted Amazon and attempted to get some information on this particular book. I checked the alleged publisher that they had put on their uh, Amazon website that publisher does not exist. There's a similar one that comes out of India, which I then checked with them. Uh, no, nothing on their website, no book ever written as such. So in my, I did write a review of the book. I was not mean, I wasn't nasty. At all, but I made the comments that uh, it does not appear that there is a publisher or an author, as there is no known uh, internet data on either, and therefore was this book written by AI or artificial intelligence? Question mark And that's all I put. I got a review or a, a review back from the editors of my review and said we cannot publish this because of whatever which didn't surprise me at all. Yeah, so it's like uh, a little bit of censorship on the censorship they gave me. So uh, it's no surprise then that uh, any mainstream giant corporation that's invested in what they're invested in are going to do these fact checks. By the way, every fact I gave was a literal fact. Uh, It wasn't an opinion. It was true. Everything I put in my little... Review yet, no go. All right. Uh, okay, so instead of global internet censorship, Google calls it fact check tools. Its purpose is to eliminate dissent on any topic Google selects. Their partners are the United Nations and the World Health Organization, WHO. Uh, plus, 71 pages of other partners are listed in the fine print on this website and the websites given. Uh, let's see, so you can go to Google Fact Check Tools, authenticate your reporting with Google tools for fact checking, in other words censorship. Uh, Google's Algorithms, and again if you're not familiar with what an algorithm is, it's nothing more than computer language uh, that determines what the computer will and won't do, so Google's algorithms are designed to delete websites that criticize topics such as, here we go, COVID-19 statistics, the World Bank, uh, let's see, that would be Klaus Schwab, uh, World Bank, the FBI's crime statistics, isn't it interesting that uh, you would expect the FBI's crime statistics to be good and accurate? Farm, and this one I don't know. Farm GKB. Anyone heard that one? Farm GKB. You know, one thing I wanted to comment, you kind of, you said it, but it was one real quick. Yep. They will delete websites. So if there's a website out there, they're going to delete that right away. Ah, so if you didn't hear Dave, what he said is if there is a website out there that, of course, everything goes through uh, uh, Google, if you will. Uh, They'll be happy to delete your website if it uh, doesn't agree. Okay, Uh, let's see. One world global government. Well, actually, from their perspective, they're for a one world global government. And, uh, I mean, we constantly enforce that here, that there, in fact, will be a one world global government someday. Uh, Just we, as Christians, won't be here to... how shall I say it, seeing they're probably censoring everything I say right now, and I really don't want to lose our our uh, outlets. But am I for a one-world global government? Well, I know it's coming. And am I for it? Well, no. According to Revelation 13, it'll be run by Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophets. So I guess I would have to say, honestly, no, I'm not for that. All right. Well, was that said as nicely as I could? Global warming statistics provided by the International Panel on Climate Change based in Geneva, Switzerland, the World Health Organization's WHO findings on any topic they select, the United Nations Energy Statistics Database uh, including carbon emissions, the Environmental Protection Agency's greenhouse gas reports, the Anheuser-Busch Baldwinsville Brewery, Stanford University's Deep Solar. New data. Lately, we've been focused on building up our inventory of sustainability-related data. Some of our, some of recent, our imports include, some of recent, our, boy, this sounds like AI wrote this. Um, it goes through a bunch of stuff, which it's all kind of gibberish, so it probably was AI-generated. The algorithms are Google's last-ditch attempt to control the Internet before people worldwide can no longer access it. The goal is to have one point of view. Google calls it data commons. All right, is this a shock to anybody? Eh, It really isn't. Uh, I mean, for the years that I've been doing prophecy things and going into current events and Bible prophecy, this is nothing that shocks the conscience at this point. Uh, totally expect that they happen. It's a matter of when they'll actually implement these things. Uh, a little bit more. All data supports one global government under the United Nations banner. Well, shocking, okay? We, every week we talk about that this has to take place. It's got to come uh, in order to fulfill Bible prophecy. So bottom line is they're assisting the Lord in accomplishing His will, even though they would claim totally opposite viewpoint. Google has the only say on what news gets read or blocked from the Internet. All right, so, again, this was, and excuse the topic here, it's a little bit, or the, uh, the publisher is called the nakedtruth.news, uh, but what they're saying, I don't know if to take with a grain of salt or if it's 100% accurate, but based on what I'm seeing everywhere else, it seems pretty accurate. All right, let's move on. Uh, last week we did four things. Four out of the ten things they are not telling you about the new artificial intelligence. So I'm going to go into a couple more things uh, that uh, basically are going to be taking place and are taking place. And it's, it really is amazing uh, as I continue doing the research on what I'm doing. What what uh, the tremendous advancement in artificial intelligence? What's taking place? Every single person here, uh, you're being impacted by it, whether you realize it or not. If you use the Internet, if uh, um, things that are taking place at businesses, your phone, I mean, it, it's just everywhere. Your computer, uh, it, it's, it's there. So I'm going to go into a couple things. I'm going to just, if you weren't here last week, I'm just going to name the four things we did last week. You can pick it up. Uh, either through ShermanAudio.com or our website, MyUGBC.com, or Facebook. Uh, I've I've found the easiest way, if it's like you missed something, and and I know some folks here, you won't go on Facebook, but if you go to Union Grove Baptist Church, we do have a Facebook account, and it's real easy to find the messages or the days, and just go back and you can watch everything on on, uh, the Internet. It's very helpful. I like it. All right, so number one, some AI systems perform tasks they were not trained to do. That's a big deal because basically right now artificial intelligence can only do one major topic at a time. But AI is developing, and we talked about through machine learning, where machines are actually or computers are actually to teach themselves. It's quite an amazing thing, but uh, again, we did that last week. Number two, we will not notice AI becoming sentient, or sentient, having human-like consciousness before it's too late. Uh, AI, the big thing they're trying to develop, and it's still not there, but basically they want an AI computer, one that's programmed, to be able to think like me and you, uh, basically to have a consciousness. Now again, this sounds like ridiculous science fiction nonsense, but it's not nonsense uh, with the development that's literally taking place. So, those that aren't familiar with me or Unigro Baptist Church, especially on the internet, they're like, ah, it sounds like some weird old science fiction stuff. Well, this, this stuff is all documented. These aren't things I came up with, by the way. This is all out of the secular media and secular books that are supporting these things. Again, uh, this particular one came off of, and it, you can see it on the screen, those on the internet. Uh, I document where everything comes from. Uh, This came off of a a particular video. And again, but all these things are documented in a multiplicity of books. Number three, AI is being used to spy on you. We spent a lot of time on that last week. Every camera, every computer, every cell phone that's being used, uh, facial recognition software, things where every time... Uh, You go on the Internet, there's a digital footprint. You cannot escape it. It's like, well, I'll I'll use a fake email address. not going to help you. Everything you do off a computer or a cell phone goes right back to the IP address that you're using. Every single phone, every single computer has one. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, I guess 32 years in law enforcement, you, you, you figure some of these things out. But uh, the easiest way to track somebody that's done something criminal, just follow the, the, al- or follow the IP address and it'll take you right to where you want to go. So there's no escaping it. It's like uh, some teenager's like, well, I think I can be sneaky and uh, I'll delete my search history or uh, I'll switch uh, the name I'm using on email or text messages or something like that. Well, it's, here's how simple it is. And, of course, the normal person can't do this, but any law enforcement agency, you say, write out the little subpoena. You go to the judge, have him sign the court order. It then goes to the Internet provider, and they send you everything that that person hopes you'll never see or find out. So it's all there. Uh, it can be used for good, and, of course, it can also be used for evil. And uh, every... Every asset has a liability, so to speak, and that's one of them. Number four, large model AI systems aren't made of explicit ideas. Uh, Again, that ties into the multiplicity of things that AI systems can do. All right, we're gonna spend a little bit of time on this. This is a new one. Number five, many artificial intelligence experts are issuing dire warnings about its rise behind the shimmering facade of AI's achievements. All right, so what? why are they trying to hide some of these things? What, what's the purpose? Well, as AI advances more and more of your data, more and more of your search histories, more and more of things that are taking place, are they, they don't want you to know how much they know. Now, we're looking at it mainly on a human level or on an individualized method, but you take this to the business level, you take it to the government level, uh, you take it to an international level and all of a sudden it's like dire warnings. So again, and I'm I'm just sticking it out there because I'm in the midst of it. So I'm actually working on a chapter right now on all the negative things from secular sources, by the way, that uh, experts are saying this is a problem in AI. I'll just give you an example. Um, there's a guy named... Stuart Russell. Stuart Russell is probably the quintessential genius on the issue of AI. His textbook, which I have, is only about 1,300 pages. Uh, It's huge. So, I mean, uh, it's just massive. But in there, and I went to his chapter on ethics today, and... I mean, quite frankly, I'd agree with about 95% of what he wrote in there about the the situations, and and he's, to my knowledge, he's not a Christian. He he had a bunch of other folks that were involved in his research. But one of the things he brought out was the military and and weapons, and weapons that are able to AI-generated and controlled weapons that basically, and Ukraine, by the way, is using these, the AI system actually will pinpoint where a missile or uh, whatever is going to go and hit a target. So the AI has, and, and the military has developed at least to some extent now, uh, uh, the AI says, okay, this is the target, this is where the missile is going to go, this is whatever, whatever whoever's there, say bye. All right so the uh, just on that weaponization issue it's like okay do you want an ai generated system determining exactly who is going to be targeted so it's like hmm now on a on a good day maybe it maybe it's got good data good input and it makes a very good decision and boom you got a good result what happens if the ai system is a little bit off. To the up well, yeah, I- exactly. I mean, it, it, it's... And this is a secular sourcing. You know, we really, really got to be careful about what we're doing and how we're going to implement these things. Uh, so, when experts, and of course I am not an expert uh, on this, but when the experts, the people that know this stuff, are saying, yeah, you know, this is in every single area that we can possibly imagine... Uh, banking, medicine, uh, military, and the list goes on and on and on. When you have AI, and I brought this word up last week, I think I think it was last week, AI hallucinations. It's an actual term used by AI experts. An AI hallucination happens when you put X amount of data into the system. Let's just use... Uh, um, Well, what what do we want to use? I'll figure out what we want to use in a minute. So it puts in data, but all of a sudden there's no more data, and all of a sudden AI determines it's going to make up something. I mean, this is literally happening. In fact, here's the illustration I gave last, I think it was last week. So somebody put in a question into GPT, which is something that anyone in this room can sign up for and use GPT-3 for free. The advanced uh, GPT 4 and 5, you got to pay to use. But if you go into certain uh, ChatGPT things, and they, they put in a question, and they said, would you respond to it and give me a paper on whatever the subject was? So the ChatGPT made out a nice uh, essay, a nice paper, and then it included documentation as to where it got that information from. The person got read the paper and then just to check on the algorithm check on the GPT to see if what it said was accurate. They then went to the books that were allegedly written. They go try to find the books and none of them existed. They 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 don't exist. So the actual GPT made it up or the AI, I don't want to blame GPT, but the AI system literally made up the books and stuck them in there. Hallucinating. Uh, uh, is what they call it. So it's a major issue. So uh, I'll just read what they say. There's lurking darkness that we cannot afford to ignore. Again, folks, there's no documentation where this came from that this is a Christian source, though it it sounds like one of us talking. You won't believe that 63% of AI experts express concerns about AI's impact on society. Number five, many AI experts are issuing dire warnings. Same thing. Picture a world where machines make decisions that could have catastrophic consequences, i.e., we gave the military example. As AI's influence grows, so does the risk of job displacement and automation. Now, that's going to get all of our attention. AI and automation are estimated to replace over 800 million, 800 million jobs by 2030. That's nearly one in five jobs worldwide. One of the biggest things, if you go and you search on the internet about negative consequences of artificial intelligence, almost every time it shoots right back to the workplace. Um, I don't want to pick on any companies because we got a lot of folks here that work at them uh, uh, locally, but uh, if you go to any of the big giant companies, and again, we're not going to name them because I don't want to I'm just not going to name them. But uh, you go to their robotic centers on how they pick products and how things happen and how many people over the years at some of these major corporations, companies, distribution centers that now use robotic arms. I mean, it's just all, I mean, there's people that will run them, but uh, how many jobs have been displaced based on robotics? Uh, Somebody that just recently had surgery. Oh, I remember who it was but again I'm not going to say because a person uh, goes to our church but uh, when he was talking about the surgery that was that he was going to have he said well yeah they've got the robotic part of the surgery there's a, a, a surgeon there he does part, the robotics are part of it. Uh, okay well, 50 years ago did you have a robot operating on you? I mean you just didn't. So robotics are picking up and displacing jobs. Well Again, we don't have time to go into, and this isn't a study on AI. Well, yes, it is. But uh, I don't want to get into all the depthiness of it. The, the, the point of this, why, are we, why am I constantly going to this? Why am I bringing these things to your attention? Because they're all setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. When the Antichrist one-world system gets put into place, we go right back, and I'm going to turn to it because I don't want to misquote it, but it's it's the key verse that we keep going to. And again, uh, Revelation 13:15 is where I'm going. When you look at this verse, I mean, okay, if you read this 100 years ago or 200 years ago or 500 years ago, it's like, okay, I guess that means Satan's going to have this supernatural power and make these things happen. Well, again, I don't disagree with that statement, But here's the verse. The he or the false prophet was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast or the Antichrist that the image, not the beast, but the image of the beast should both speak. All right, can computers speak? Can they speak? I mean, absolutely they can. Can generated AI images speak? Can robots, if they're programmed correctly, can they speak? I mean, yeah, so again, I'm I'm not trying to be speculative or sensational here, but okay, just whether you buy this or not where we're going, it's certainly feasible. So uh, that the image of the beast should both speak, and now here's the big one, and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. All right, so we're talking on a worldwide, global basis that whatever this image is, whatever's controlling it, and we don't know. I mean, this is, and by the way, if you're a Christian, you won't be here to watch this. Amen? (laughs) I mean, that's the good thing. But uh, uh, I was talking to someone before uh, the class today, and... Yeah, there's a lot of things that are developing that are setting the stage for what actually will be fully implemented uh, during the tribulation period. So uh, uh, we don't know to what extent that's going to happen before we go. Uh, I mean, I've I've been asking the Lord, I'm like, uh, don't you think things have developed far enough? It's time to take us home. (laughs) It's like it's crazy out there what's taking place. Uh, So you say, well, Do you believe the rapture could happen any moment? Oh, yeah, I really do. I mean, there's so much happening on a a domestic and a global scale. It's like, wow. All right, so uh, automation, is it going to increase? Absolutely. Is AI going to control more and more jobs? Absolutely. Now, if you have young people that are, and teenagers, and uh, potentially those that are looking for, if they're younger, there's going to be a lot of jobs that are currently in play that in all likelihood are going to disappear. So I really recommend it. and I mean this seriously. This isn't sensationalism here. This is reality. As you look at the job market and your your young people especially or your grandkids, as they're looking forward to what they're going to do, they definitely should consider and do some research on what is going to be a viable position basically by the time they get out of school or if they're not going to school from a a, a basic trades even thing, how how many trades could be negatively impacted by automation, alright? So, again, that's... I'm not... I'm saying be guarded. I'm not saying don't do this, don't do that, or you should do this I am saying be guarded. Make sure, especially if you have young people, that they understand how things are going to be changing and do the research. And even if, uh, uh, if you're in the trades or if you're going, uh, if you planning on going into something whereby uh, college is necessary, vet it out. Make sure you know where it's going and pick a field that you know will be sustainable in the future. Just advice, not a dictate. All right, uh, 800 million jobs by 2030. That's a lot. Uh, Here's another one, and we'll probably close with this one. AI will not care for us. Well, again, we go back to sentient or sentient AI, which has basically a consciousness, can think. Will it have feelings? Will it feel bad if you lose your job? Will it cry and get rusty? AI will not care for us. We live in a world where machines someday will rule making decisions that impact our lives, our communities, and even our existence. Now, I like the language that's used here, if it fits in again with the prophetic scenario. Uh, uh, We'll live in a world where machines someday will what? Rule. And I'm like, well, isn't that an interesting thought? Lines right up with Revelation 13. Now again, I can't prove that this scenario is exactly lining up with this scenario, but isn't it amazing how these things are coming together? Again, I haven't even gone into this one and the transhumanist subject, so and I, I touched on it, I don't know, about a month ago, and I'll be developing that a little bit in the weeks to come. Alright, but think about a human being okay, okay, who just did this? Oh, my brother-in-law uh, lives up in Minneapolis or in uh, Minnesota area. And uh, he was at the funeral I was at in Montana, and he actually had to leave right after the funeral to get back to Minnesota because he was going to have a shoulder replacement. So I'm like, well, how many surgeries have you had? Both knees are been replaced. Both shoulders have been replaced. And uh, myriads of other things, his body just basically is, was destroyed through what he'd done in the military and through working in... Uh, he was uh, farming and just had a ton of issues. But he's like a bionic body right now. Half of his body is, is fake parts. Uh, the interesting thing is transhumanism is leading towards trying to get body parts that far exceed what our normal body parts are my brother in law's kind of proven the point right now that uh these things last longer they sh- well they may not last longer but they're stronger they can do things that the normal human body can't do they don't uh, hurt at least suppose how do you, how does a how does a metal insert hurt interesting if you want to raise your hand how many have had any kind of a knee shoulder replacements. Alright, there's one going you know, all over the room. Here's the interesting thing. Those of you that have had one, how many of you with artificial parts, <laughs> wherever they might be, how often do you think that they hurt? Anybody ever have that happen where they actually hurt? You think they're hurting? There's one, there's two, there's three? All right, my brother-in-law, another brother-in-law, who's also had a bunch of surgeries, he's had knee replacements. His knee hurts all the time. Well, his knee re- can't hurt, but the, the, the nerves around, say what? They call it phantom. Yeah, phantom pain or, or, or pain maybe from uh, what was left to put around the knee. Yeah, I can certainly, he's like it hurts worse now sometimes than before the surgery. Now, some of you that are going to go in for surgery saying, oh, boy, I didn't want to hear that. But uh, you just don't know. But over the past decade, AI has become exceptionally smarter mastering complex tasks and outperforming humans in different areas, i.e. why a lot of robotic machines and AI-controlled things are replacing humans in the marketplace. AI cannot truly care about us or any form of sentient or sentient life AI operates solely on algorithms, in other words, computer programming, data, and mathematical calculations. AI doesn't experience joy, sorrow, or love. It doesn't care if we're happy or sad, thriving or suffering. Now again, as (laughs) you get into the, that's true today. Will that be true a year from now? Or 10 years from now? And I'm going to suggest, based on the research that I've done, that the programmers and the developers are actually working on making AI machines that actually do have all of that. So, will it happen in our lifetime? Who knows? Will it happen someday? Maybe. Larry? Um, uh, I just want to say that... uh, Oh, go ahead. A soul. Yeah, Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yep, yep. Uh, The statement was, AI does not have a soul and cannot worship God, and uh, that we can definitely agree on. Now, is your name Larry too? You're Bob. (laughs) All right, there's a Larry behind you. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, you're a Larry too. I thought it was Bob. All right, good to see you, by the way. Larry, go ahead. to build a converter 20 years later we went to robots that talked to each other it took 6 people 6 people, we people to run the robot 120 down to 6 yeah now, Right, for sake of those watching, uh, what was just stated from an individual that worked at a particular place where they had 120 employees on a, on a work line, that 120 was reduced to six people and replaced with basically robotic machinery that could talk to each other. Amazing stuff. And that's 20 years ago, so you can imagine the advancement now and how many jobs uh, have been replaced by uh, AI and robotic machines. And it's going to keep on keeping on. So, bottom line, at least at this point, AI doesn't care for happy or sad. Probably won't care for happy or sad in the future either. But uh, can, do you believe? And, well, do you believe? Is it possible? There's a better statement. Is it possible that AI will be so advanced, such as? Let me just throw this out there, and I'll stop on this one. And then we'll get into Acts chapter 21 and get some real stuff. AI robotic machines chat boxes are interacting on a regular basis with human beings. AI generated images, AI robotic machines are now so lifelike and human-like that people are having relationships with Machinery, And if you think I'm crazy, it's absolutely true. Some uh, AI chat, and this is documented, uh, chat GPT actually came up with uh, the, the chat GPT was getting so intimately graphic that complaints had come out and they had to reprogram it so it stopped. They got a ton of complaints from people that lost their connection with their computer on an intimate basis. Now, we're not going there, but just and don't even use your imagination, which everybody's doing in the room right now, but it's like, are you serious? How can you do that? Well, crazy stuff. Dave? Yeah, the question is, will there be any ethics involved in this? Well, again, I go back to this textbook, 1,300 pages, uh, written by multiplicity of individuals that are all involved in the secular universities, and they bring out, I mean, they absolutely state, we should, operative statement, should. That doesn't mean will. We should do everything on an ethical basis so that it enhances... Humanity and doesn't harm it. And then it goes through a myriad of different things, along with many other sources, that tell you exactly problematic things that are and will take place. Uh, Let me see. Anybody that doesn't follow and worship the Antichrist will be what? Killed. Is that kind of an ethical violation? I think so. Uh, let me just, and Valerie, you wanted to say something? Okay. Uh, let me just read the next verse. Uh, let's see. And then i I definitely going to go to Acts 21 after I read this. So I'm going to skip ahead so I don't get tempted. That's for next week. Ooh, lots, a lot of good stuff. Wow, like that. <laughs> Where are you again? Revelation 13, Revelation 13 uh, we just finished verse 15. Again, That as many, and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. All right, so now here's the next thing, verse 16. He causes all, and uh, somebody just made mention of this, it might have been you, Lewis. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one, we're talking globally, folks, not just locally, He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand or on the foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom, let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, his number is 666. All right, everybody knows this passage, everybody in here, you've heard me state it, you've read it, Uh, uh, it's nothing new under the sun. God's just making it absolutely perfectly clear. Somehow, the technology is going to be there. Somehow it's going to be on a worldwide global basis, whether it's and I I'm absolutely convinced some form of AI absolutely has to be involved in this or some, and something very similar. You cannot do this on, on a simple lef- level. This has to be an international, worldwide global system or it won't work. And prophecy wouldn't be fulfilled. And does prophecy always have to be fulfilled? That we can all agree on. It's got to happen. So it will take place. All right, that's enough AI for today. I'll do, and and I, boy, it's just like today when uh, Dave sent me that article. It's like, I really kind of want to get off the AI kick, but it's like, man, every other day something's happening that Pops right in, so I mean, this stuff is exponentially just going bonkers as to the development of it. All right, how about some Bible? Anybody need a handout, Mr. Lair? Okay, Maris up here. Anyone else in the back? Okay, there's a bunch in the back after you get Maris. Thank you, sir. Going once, come. Yeah, there's several in the back towards where Valerie is. And uh, over by Lane. All right, very good. Now well, let's get into some Bible. By the way, everything we just did—it's like, well, why do you, why do you waste our time with talking about AI? I trust it's not wasting your time. I really do. It's getting us to understand the developments that are taking place, the cautions that we need to exercise uh, from a Christian perspective, uh, uh, as well as. I mean, okay, so I'm a pastor. Does that mean I should only talk about um, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and let everything else go? And I don't think that's being a good shepherd, quite frankly, to keep it just myopic. Uh, every single part of our life, we are to have a Christian worldview. Every part, everything we do, Christian worldview. So when we're looking at economics, when we're which. Anybody here able to exist without money? I mean, we all need it. We all use it. We all have to figure out where it's going to come from. Uh, So when it comes to economics, when it comes to your portfolio, when it comes to your jobs, when it comes to uh, every single thing we do, when it comes to entertainment, when it comes to media, all that stuff, does it all fall under a Christian worldview? Can we agree or not? Everything we do, should it be under a Christian worldview? Uh, I mean, it should. Uh, otherwise, we're missing out. Uh, everything we do should be under the auspices of what? what is God's will. What am I doing today? Where am I going? Who am I going to marry? What job am I going to take? What am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do after after church is over? Everything should have a world Christian worldview biblical nexus. All right. So, let's go back here. So, today what we're looking at, uh, we're finishing up Paul's third missionary journey. And, uh, basically, I titled this one, Anything for the Cause of Christ." Is We're going to see some tough stuff, again, that the Apostle Paul went through. Alright, verse 1, Acts 21. Now, it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, and basically he's just going to go through his path right now, how he's going to get back to Jerusalem Running a straight course, we came to Cos. the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. Now, how many of you have been to all those places? Uh, I haven't, and I doubt uh, most of you have. If any, uh, I would like to do that someday. I'd do a Mediterranean uh, jaunt around that, uh, the Mediterranean sea, if you will, and go through all these places, but uh, actually we are, okay, sorry, I'm rabbit trailing, but uh, Valerie and I were actually scheduled to do this back when, guess what, hit? Uh, COVID, and bye-bye. Yeah, yeah, no, no Mediterranean vacation. Uh, went away. So, basically, uh, okay, so we're on the Great Sea here, Mediterranean, you see where Kos, Rhodes, Patera, Cyprus, this is all Asia Minor, by the way. Um, you can see Galatia up there. You see Asia uh, in the middle of the map there. But they're basically going south of Asia Minor, coming around, and, and straight down to the right will be Israel. So they're basically heading back towards that area, which uh, we'll see in just a moment. So Paul said, We found a ship sailing over to Phoenicia. We went, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was no motor cargo. All right. All that, basically, Paul's simply backtracking on how he did his journey on Paul's third missionary journey. So again, uh, on the right is Israel. He's just, he had been over, what's the furthest in modern-day talk, what's the furthest country he got to on his third missionary journey? Basically, we're talking Greece. So he's just making his way back from what is now Greece and Italy and coming back to the east where he's going to end up uh, down in Phoenicia side in Tyre which is literally about mm, 80 miles 70 miles from Jerusalem which is just a little bit south of there alright so let's get into the meat of this and finding disciples he stayed there seven days they told Paul through the Spirit, not to go up to Jerusalem. All right, two things here. The disciples are talking to him, and they're warning Paul. Paul, we got a message for you. You go to Jerusalem, and you're going to suffer. You're going to endure some horrible things. And catch the verbiage here, because it, it, he, they're not the Holy Spirit didn't say tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But the interpreters of whatever, however the Holy Spirit was working with them, their basic concept was, listen, we know, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, it's not going to be a good outcome for you. So maybe you ought to reconsider this uh, silly idea of going to Jerusalem. Now, I want you to also catch and most of you know this, when it says go up to Jerusalem. We know that Jerusalem is on the top of what Mount? Mount Moriah. And no matter where you're coming from, you always go up to Jerusalem. It's just a biblical statement. When you go to Jerusalem, you always go up to get there. (coughs) So they told Paul through the Spirit, listen, don't go go up to Jerusalem. Now they're going to expand on this. So... Bottom line, uh, uh, they're in Tyre right now. You can see over to the left, that's where uh, Greece, you can see Athens, Corinth, if you got good eyes. Uh, Asia Minor, then down uh, going to Jerusalem. And his friends, his disciples, those who love and care about him, are like, don't do it, don't go. So verse 5, when we had come to the end of those days, of the seven days, we departed and went on our way And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. So, I mean, there's good camaraderie. Uh, The Apostle Paul planted the churches there. Folks had come to Christ. There was a a bond of unity there. So they basically, the whole place gets up and says, hey, we're going to walk you to your ship, which they did. And then, of course, as they depart, they kneel down and uh, pray for them. Verse 6, when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship, and they went home. Okay, here we go. Verse 7, and when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Potomac, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we were with Paul's companions. uh, uh, We who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. All right, so on the next day, we who are Paul's companions, they depart. They come to Caesarea. I'm going to go back to that map for just a second here. Oops, got to keep going. Sorry. All right, so when you look at this map, they're at Tyre. Caesarea is just a little bit south. By the way, when we go to uh, Israel, one of the first places we, well, first places, you see where Jop is at the bottom left uh, uh, of that of Israel, just a little bit below that is Tel Aviv so we land in Tel Aviv start the trek north, first major stop is in Caesarea where there's some really cool archaeological remains, there's the Hippodrome where they, uh, if you watch Ben-Hur, chariot races the Hippodrome of course has been it's it's still kind of there it's pretty cool uh, and uh, there's a big giant uh, Roman theater that's still there that's still in use today, believe it or not. So it's some interesting things. But bottom line, they're going down to Caesarea. Sorry, i got to skip back again. And they enter the house of an individual named Philip the Evangelist. Now, it gives us a clue about who he is. He was one of the seven, which we'll look at, and they stayed with him. All right, so again, uh, they go down to Caesarea, just a little bit north of Jerusalem, And let's find out a little bit about Philip. So we go back to Acts chapter 6. Now, in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, Greek-speaking Jews, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve, or the twelve disciples, summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, Hey, we got a problem. It is not desirable that we, in other words, the disciples, should leave the word of God and serve tables. So in other words, God had called them to preach, teach, uh, do missionary work, and now we've got this group of individuals that say, hey, uh, we got uh, uh, individuals, specifically widows, that aren't being cared for. Now, by the way, does the Bible ever state that widows should be cared for? It absolutely does. Now, it actually puts an age on that. Now, I'm not saying we... uh, uh, shouldn't help all widows, I think we should, but he puts an age limit on who are the specific, and this is for a ten-point question. What is the age that God says, listen, when, when widows reach this age, you need to seriously take care of them. What's the age? I see a six. Six years old? Sixty. Huh? Six-old. Six-old, that is correct. You get the ten points, which is redeemable nowhere. Anyway, uh, <laughs> That should get a little laugh. Anyway, uh, and he's right. So, again, uh, are you saying, Pastor, if they're under 60, we shouldn't help them at all? No, absolutely not. Uh, um, But God basically says, listen, uh, um, uh, when somebody reaches the age of 60, now think about the culture back in the first century A.D. How many people had gigantic lifespans to live, even reach the 70 mark, much less beyond? Yeah, it was not like it is today. Uh, people didn't have, I mean, today, and those of you that are getting a little bit more mature, meaning older, uh, back in the day, you, what was the average, last generation, what was the average age for retirement? that well, was 65. What's the average age of retirement today, at least where the government wants you? 72. Yeah, 72 in that range, and you just watch Social Security, uh, if you want, uh, and I don't even know what it is, but when you reach, if you don't take Social Security until you can get the maximum amount, what age do you have to be? It's 70 what? Is it 75? 70. 70? Zero. All right, seven zero. 7-0. So, again, what are they saying? Don't retire until you're 70 if you want the maximum amount of money, or don't take Social Security. Uh, So it's interesting. But anyway, uh, the bottom line is these widows were not being cared for, and uh, they wanted them to be cared for, so the disciples said, well, yeah, we we think they should be cared for too, so let's figure this out. So what takes place? Verse 3, Therefore, brethren Christians, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom who we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. All right, so what are they doing? They're picking out, they, they, they get seven men, Philip being one of those men that uh, basically was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to park there for just a second. When we're talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, Think about first-century biblical filling of the Spirit. When we're commanded in Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit, does that equate to the exact same thing that took today? Is that the exact same thing that took place back in the first century? The answer is no. No. Anyone filled with the Spirit back in the first century was able to do things such as prophesy, speak in tongues, basically known languages, was able, as Paul was able to do, and the disciples to do miraculous works, miraculous healings. So when they say these guys were filled with the Spirit, they were able to perform miraculous things under the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, and and, uh, uh, if you remember when Jesus sent the disciples out, one of the things he said was, if you recall, raise the what? Raise the dead. I'll be quite frank, I've never seen anybody raise anyone from the dead today uh, uh, in my lifetime. It just hadn't happened. I've heard stories about, well, people uh, uh, died in the hospital, they're in the morgue, or getting ready to be taken to the morgue and all of a sudden they sit up and, and take note. I mean that does happen on occasion but it's not because a faithful healer came in with the power of the Holy Spirit and said rise up uh, old dead one just like Lazarus what happens uh, uh, they go to the tomb stand up Lazarus come on out uh, that doesn't happen today so when we're talking about individuals that were literally filled with the Holy Spirit during at least the first century they got to do marvelous supernatural miraculous things So it's important to keep in mind here. And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen. Remember Stephen? What happened to him? Uh, He was martyred. Uh, A man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, there's the name, uh, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, it should be Timion, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Now isn't that interesting? So let's see uh, uh, if we understand what it says here. So we've got a bunch of Jewish guys, and now we're talking about Nicholas, who's a what? A proselyte. What's a proselyte? Again, a proselyte is a Jewish individual that then adopted, if you will, the Jewish faith, and then went one step further and became a Christian. All right? So basically, we're looking at a Gentile guy who, who took on uh, the faith, if you will, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, worshiped the God, Yahweh, of the Old Testament, and then obviously here he's come to Christ, or he wouldn't be serving with them. Verse 6. All right, so whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on him. Now, folks, uh, uh, here's here's a couple of things. One is, you'll know, hear many... I'll even say churches, some Bible schools that will say, well, this was the deacons, the implementation of the deacons back in the day. I find that to be a suspect conclusion because when we get into the Pauline epistles, it makes it very clear in Timothy and Titus uh, how deacons are called. So at a minimum, and it's like, okay, are these servants, are they doing things, if you will, that those if you will, involved in preaching and teaching aren't doing, the answer is yes, they're taking on, if you will, more servant things to help others than they are preaching and teaching. So it's, it's an interesting scenario. So you're going to find people on both sides of the equation. Were these the first deacons? I think it's a little suspect based on, on the scenario here. But did it set the stage for what I think deacons would become? I think that's undeniable, and and I can accept that. But anyway, what do these individuals do? These folks that were called, if you will, to, and deacons, by the way, in Scripture, have much, much more, I believe, position and duties than waiting on tables, if you will. But look at what they did. Look at the requirements they had for these individuals to be involved in, if you will, a servant leadership position. Was it I mean, they got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, I mean, individuals that were walking with God, they prayed and they lay hands on them and they commit (coughs) them to the ministry. Uh, Do you think that's, I, I think that's pretty important. I don't know what you think, but I do. Uh, God made a big deal out of this. It's like these are individuals that, man, they're full of the Holy Spirit, and they're literally assigned, if you will, to help uh, uh, these widows and, and take care of them. So I think it's a wonderful thing, and I think God takes this very seriously. He wouldn't put these things within that statement. All right, verse 8, on the next day, we're back in Acts 21 now, on the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed, came to Caesarea, entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now we clip on verse 9. Now this man had four virgin daughters who did what? Prophesied. All right, so what does that mean, and what does that mean for us? So we've got this, this individual, Philip, who is an evangelist. all right So again, one of the gifts that God gave and gives is those that are blessed with the gift of evangelism. And uh, by the way, the Bible makes it clear that every pastor should do the work of an, do the work of an evangelist. In other words, do I believe I have the gift of evangelism? I would have to say no. But am I to do the work of an evangelist? The answer is absolutely. Now, an evangelist and a guy like Michael McCrory that we had here, uh, and and I made it very clear why I wanted him to come. I knew we had certain folks in our church that I've been praying for for a long time. I gave the gospel over and over and over, ad nauseum almost, if that's possible. And... It just wasn't clicking. They weren't, they weren't catching it. They weren't coming to Christ. So I'm like, well, something's missing here. And somehow, whether it's what, how I'm saying it, the delivery, whatever, it's, it's not happening. These folks aren't coming to Christ. So I'm like, we got to do something. I've got to bring in someone who has the gift of evangelism. And I believe Micah McCrory does. So Micah came. He preached the message. And lo and behold, several of the people that I've been praying for got saved that day. And I said, well, praise the Lord. That's exactly, I I mean, I knew something was missing, and here's here's the missing link. Mike McCrary, gift of evangelism, comes in, they hear it from him, and God blessed, and folks got saved. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. So, even though, and by the way, Hmm. how many Christians are called to do the work of evangelism? Mm. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20 now then we are ambassadors for Christ. So you're like, well pastor, you're supposed to do the work of evangelist. Yeah, you are too. <laughs> uh, we're all called to do that work. Uh so it's there. And praise the Lord that he's given us uh that calling. All right. Now, let's look at this lady or lady. So Philip, when is this now first century AD? is an evangelist, and he has four virgin daughters who prophesied. All right, so what's taking place here? How come these females, these ladies, these virgins are prophesying? Now, okay, let's, let's understand what the gift of prophecy was. The gift of prophecy and, and we could go through and, and this really becomes very controversial. Even today, 2,000 years later, there's more controversy over this issue and speaking in tongues and healing and all those other uh, 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 apostolic gifts. 2,000 years later, it's a huge contention among Christians. Contentious, not contention. It's contentious. So, when we're talking about literal prophecy, the gift of prophecy, what does that mean? It doesn't mean, as some will try to water down the meaning, that, well, you know, it's the gift of exhortation. No, prophecy is not the gift of exhortation. That's a different subject matter. Prophecy means that somebody, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying something that's directly from God affecting something that's going to take Place. I mean, that's the biblical definition of it. These four ladies had the gift of prophecy. They were able to state things from God, talking about things that would take place. All right? So, and we're going to back that up, by the way. We're going to go to two different passages here. So, back in Acts chapter 2, you remember Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, all the people there from all around the known world. The, the Jewish males that were required to be in Jerusalem, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes after the death, burial, resurrection of Christ on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down and all of a sudden everybody's hearing from all over the known world who spoke multiplicity of different languages, they heard every man speak in his own language or as the, the King James and others use tongue, they heard it in their own language Why? Because God gave that supernatural ability for them to hear, if you will, in their own language, the words that they needed to hear, which uh, came out in Acts 2. Now in Acts 2, here's what it states. But this, after these gifts broke out and people are hearing uh, the word of God in their own language, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, way back in the Old Testament, and it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Catch the next part of the sentence. Your sons and your who? Daughters shall what? Prophesy. All right. So, Acts chapter 2, what's taking place? We're in a major transitional Period going from what only was known as the Old Testament into now what Christ gave in the Gospels, and now we're into the uh, uh, post ascension, so after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and now instead of Old Testament law, Mosaic law, following the Old Testament, doing all the rituals, doing the uh-oh, 613 commandments and all the temple sacrifice and all the dietary things, all of a sudden everything changes. So God had to get the word to the people that things were changing, not only through the different languages being taught, but also through prophecy. How many of these individuals during the first century had what I'm holding in my hands? How many of them? Zero, none, not a nicked nothing. (laughs) Is that enough negatives? Whoa. Whoops. That wasn't good. Thank you, Lewis. Fortunately, that's my rubber Bible. It withstands everything. Thank you, sir. Sure. I apologize for that. Not the way the Word of God should be treated. Alright. So, and it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters, shall prophesy. Is it any wonder why uh, Philip had four daughters that could prophesy. Does that make sense based on this? Well, of course it does. So they had the gift. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Not my men's servants, and on my maid servants. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. All right, let's move on. So, now we go to the future. Zod, Acts 2, and Joel 2. Acts 2 literally is the same words that Joel prophesied. So we have the beginning of this scenario pop open in in uh, Acts chapter two, and here's what hasn't happened yet. So we go from verse eighteen; those things kicked into play. Verse nineteen has not happened; it's still future, uh, uh, not happened. So uh, Joel prophesied, "I will," and uh, of course, in Acts, Luke states. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, if you go to, and we're not going to go there, but you go to Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse. What is the sign of the coming of Christ? Not for the rapture, but for the second coming. Exactly what's written right here. There will be absolute signs that will be in the heavens that will take place not at the rapture, but seven years later at the second coming of Christ. When Jesus comes back, there's going to be catastrophic changes in the sky when Jesus returns. So these things haven't happened yet. Why? All right, now here's, here's the part that is really important, but unfortunately, even though it shouldn't be, controversial is. We go back to God's Jewish prophetic calendar, Daniel 9, 24 to 27. Daniel 9, 26. There are two events that are listed in Daniel 9, 26. Again, this was prophesied to Daniel's people back in uh, Daniel 9, verse 1. It talks about this all the way through verse 24. It says who he's talking to, Jewish people, Jewish calendar. Daniel 9.26, two things were prophesied to take place. Number one, the crucifixion of Christ. The Messiah shall be cut off. That's a prophecy that specifically says Messiah shall be cut off, basically die. Number two, in Daniel 9.26, the second thing God says will take place is the destruction of the second temple. This was written... Back in about 500 B.C., the second temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. Did the crucifixion of Christ happen in Daniel 9.26? Yes. Did the second temple get destroyed in Daniel 9.26? Yes. Yes. What's the next event, then, that's talked about? You go to Daniel 9.27, and it talks about the Antichrist confirming a peace treaty with the many, or the Jewish people. Again, the whole context is Jewish people, starting in Daniel 9.1. Wait a minute. Where's the church age in there? Where's where's okay, we know the crucifixion happened, we know the temple's gonna be destroyed, then the next thing is the Antichrist coming. Well wait a second, we got it almost we're almost hitting more nineteen hundred and some odd years that have taken place between this and this. And it's like, well, why is that? Well, because uh, um, God put what we're going to call a parenthetical passage in there known as the church which has been here for some 1900 and X amount of years going on 2000 years Colossians 1 24 to 29 Ephesians 3 1 to 7 Romans 16 25 and 26 all talk about the mystery church age which is what we live in why is it a mystery because God didn't prophesy between Daniel 9 26 and Daniel 9 27 he never said after the Death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, I'm going to stop the Jewish system and I'm going to implement the church. Not in there. We don't find that out until Colossians, Ephesians, and Romans when he tells us why we're where we're at. All right? So you say, well, why'd you bring that up? Uh, Let's see, because in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 21, we're talking about people who had the gift of prophecy that Joel talked about. during the transitional time when the Jewish people and Gentiles, of course, involved then, become Christians. Well, for 2,000 years, that was during the first century, the apostolic age, when the last apostle passed off the scene, so did those supernatural, miraculous gifts. They were apostolic gifts. The Bible talks in Corinthians about the signs of an apostle. So uh, you say, well, pastor, do you believe that miracles happen today? Of course I do. God does miracles all the time. Does he do them through people? The answer is absolutely not. Uh, that ceased after the apostolic times. So, again, I know that's controversial. There's multiple different denominations, of which we are not one, that support miraculous signs, even though they, I don't think I've, they've ever seen one performed. They uh, can't. They don't exist today. Uh, So when people say, well, I've got the gift of healing, really, tell me one person that you healed and how it took place. If you're praying for somebody and God heals them, all right, it's the prayer that healed the person, not your ability to walk up and say, all right, I'm in the hospital, uh, you're sick, stand up, you're, you're healed. That's the gift of healing. And literally, the person would stand up and they're healed. Praying for somebody for a week is not the gift of healing. That's simply God answering prayer and healing someone. All right, enough said. I don't want to go any longer on that, but that's the major thing. The miraculous signs and wonders were definitely during the apostolic time. Prophecy, they're actually prophetically speaking about things because they didn't have the canon, and it was during the apostolic times then certainly it all took place as written. So there's no denying that took place. Uh, Let's see, 1 Corinthians 11, we're not really getting into head covering, but simply to document this. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 4, every man praying or what? Prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. Now again, I'm not getting into head coverings tonight. I'm getting into that prophecy existed during the apostolic times. But every woman who prays or what? Prophesies. All right, so God basically uh, uh, and the Corinthians were huge abusers of the spiritual gifts, but God's simply bringing out that, yeah, in two different passages, did ladies have the gift of prophecy during the first century? Absolutely, unequivocally, they did. So, so yes, sir? Would the Jewish men have to take their yarmulkes off when they prayed? Well, back in the day, I don't believe they wore them. Oh, okay. That's uh, a more of a modern implementation. Uh, that the Jewish people have done. So uh, I don't believe back in the Old Testament times they would uh, wear what is known as the kippa or the yarmulke. All right, uh, let's move on. Acts 21.10. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And here we go, and we'll probably stop pretty close to this. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said... Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. All right, now we have the second implementation here. Now we have Agabus, along with the other ones that we read a little bit earlier, are coming up to Paul and saying, listen, you're going to be in serious trouble when you get to Jerusalem. Let's move on. What is the next piece? Now those, now when we heard these things, who's writing this? Who's the author of this? It's Luke. And Luke has said, listen, we heard these things, along with the other disciples. And both we and those from that place, what did they do? They plead with Paul, to him, not to go up to Jerusalem. Paul, don't go there. It's horrible. The Holy Spirit has made it very clear. Agabus the prophet has made it very clear. If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound up. You're going to be put in prison. Now, up to this point, has anyone stated the Holy Spirit told them to tell Paul, do not go to Jerusalem? Is that in there? Remember when Jesus told Peter before his crucifixion, hey, Peter. I'm going to be arrested, and they're going to crucify me. And Peter got in Jesus' face and said, Not so, Lord. That's a real bad statement. Not so, Lord. Lord. No, if the Lord tells you what to do, you don't tell the Lord what to do. (laughs) Peter said, Not so, Lord. What did Peter say to, or what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me. Get behind me, Satan. Uh, You're not doing the things of God. So here we've got these individuals. They're, I mean, they love Paul. You know, you know, Let's give him a break here. I'm actually the one that's giving him a hard time. But uh, I'll give him a break. They love Paul. They don't want to see him go to Jerusalem and get beat up like he's had multiple times. They don't want to see him go to prison. They don't want to see him bound up. So they're begging with him, Come on, Paul, don't do this. It's not a good idea. You're going to suffer. Well, good old Apostle Paul, What does he say? What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? I mean, that's kind of strong. He's like, come on, guys, what's wrong with you? What do you mean by this weeping? What do you mean uh, uh, trying to break my own heart? Listen, guys, let me tell you like it is. I am ready not only to be bound, but also to what? Die. Die at Jerusalem, for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, folks, that's an incredible statement. Paul constantly is jumping in front of bullets, literally. I mean, he's like, I don't care. If this is what God wants for me, sign me up. Folks, you think about young men and ladies who sign up for the military, that's the best I can come up with an illustration. They know. I mean, they're joining the military. The chance of being shot at, the chance of potentially dying, it's no joke. It's very, very real. Yet they're like, I love my country. I love my family. I, 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 I love people. And I believe that it's the right thing to do. To sign up, to put on the weaponry, if you will, to put on the uniform, and to go fight for them and potentially give their life known as the ultimate sacrifice. And Paul said, sign me up. Sign me up. I don't care if I die. I don't care if I'm bound. I'm going there because I've been called by God to do this. So when he would not be persuaded we ceased. Now, here's where you got to be real careful with your grammar. Take out the parentheses I put in there. And take out the comma. And by the way, in the original language, there's no commas, there's no punctuation in the original Greek manuscripts. So it could read like this. So when, so when he would not be persuaded, we cease saying the will of the Lord be done. That's a dangerous little statement. I'll do it one more time if you missed it. So when he would not be persuaded, we cease saying the will of the Lord be done. In other words, well, we're like, okay, we disagree with God's will, so we're not going to say it anymore. We're not going to say the will of the Lord be done. That's not what it's saying. So we got to get the punctuation right here. So when he would not be persuaded, so when we could not persuade Paul to stay out of Jerusalem, we ceased saying. In other words, they ceased trying to alter Paul's destiny and instead they affirmed God's will by saying, not our will basically, but the will of the Lord be done. That's what he's really saying here. So uh, again, sometimes uh, I mean, one little comma here can throw you into a completely wrong (laughs) conclusion if you don't understand what it's saying. They didn't say, well, we don't want God's will anymore. they, They ceased. They ceased their argument with Paul and then they said what? The will of of God be done. Well, we're going to stop there tonight. What's God's will for you? What's God have for you? What does God want you to do? That's a big question that all of us ask at times. How do you discern what is God's will today? Well, I always give a couple of things, and here's the practical side of it. How do you know what God's will is? How did Paul know what God's will is? Well, because God literally told him. I mean, he told him. No, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He told him. You're like, well, that's never happened to me. Well, folks, it's never happened to me either. But how does God do things? Well, who lives with inside of you if you're a believer? Holy Spirit. Can the Holy Spirit put things in your mind, put things in your head that... I absolutely can and he can lead us that way. Uh, the other thing I always say, okay, so if you, you believe you're being impressed to do something by the Holy Spirit, we want to make sure it's the Holy Spirit's will and not something we just came up with. So how do we verify that? Well, I'll be careful now. I don't want to throw it again. <laughs> uh, this is a really good source. In fact, it's the best source. Uh, you read through this and it's like, do you see anything here that seems unscriptural? Do you see anything here that authenticates what's in your mind? Then the other big thing. The Bible says in Proverbs, there is safety in a multitude of counselors. So number one, Holy Spirit makes an impression in your mind about what you, what you think is what God wants. Second, we go to the Word of God to make sure it matches up with uh, there's nothing there that is contrary to what you're going to do. Uh, uh, uh. then probably spend a nice season in prayer you know Lord I, I believe this is what you want me to do ask God about it talk to him about it and then that multitude of counselors number one if you're married always consult your spouse they'll always come up with something or they'll either affirm or give you a hard time about it if they give you a hard time, not necessarily it's, it's a, a done deal, shouldn't do it, but it's certainly time to park the car for a minute and decide, well, if my spouse really doesn't like this, why? And don't get mad at your spouse. It's like, why, did, why does my spouse not agree? Now, maybe they will in the future, maybe they won't. Other one, multitude of counselors, godly individuals you trust, you know are walking with God, you present the scenario to them, and listen to what they have to say. Folks, I do that, and I I tell you this over many times, I always, I never do anything without consulting Valerie. And by the way, every single time we agree on something, it's usually the right choice, because then we go to the multitude. My multitude of counselors is three or four good godly men that I, I believe walk with God I'll get them one-on-one, not at the same time, give them the scenario, wait for their advice. I have never, ever, ever had those four guys, three or four guys based on one is with the Lord now, I have never had them had a disagreement on any of the questions I've asked them. Always have come to pass. Now, is that the way God will work in your life? Can't guarantee it, but that's the way he's worked in mine, so I think it's a good way to go. All right. How about let's close and go get our kids? And if you don't have any kids, don't pick any extras up. But, uh, <laughs> all right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for all that's contained therein. Father, as we spent some time a little bit earlier tonight looking at things that are taking place, current events as setting the stage for Bible prophecy, Lord, help us to be discerning. Help us to be careful. Help us to watch what we uh, potentially can get sucked into. So, Lord, just give us a discerning spirit. Help us to do the right things, not to get scared, not to get bent out of shape, not to question everything, if you will, on a, on a horrible outcome. But, Lord, just help us to be discerning, lead us, guide us, help us to make right decisions and uh, to use things in a proper way. And then, Father, we thank you for the Word of God and what you've also told us about the Apostle Paul and the tremendous way that you led him and still lead us today. So, Father, I pray that you'd bless us, help us do the right thing this week. Uh, Pray that you'd watch over us, bless the teens and the young people as they finish up. And, uh, Lord, we just commit them all to you. Thank you for your love for us. Pray that you bring us all back, those in town, on Sunday. We we look forward to worshiping you on your day. And uh, we just praise you for who you are. Father, watch over us now as we depart and go our separate ways. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Uh, Valerie has something. Okay, you need five long tables to the ministry center...